Uh, my name is Peter. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's such a privilege uh, to obviously uh, being uh, compared to Peter Swines. It is just an honor and joy. So thank you, John. <laughs> um, what a joy. I know your headspace was in First Peter. Um, love it. Love it. Love it. How are y'all doing, Hope? Good, 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 good. Uh, well, we are excited, excited that you're here, that you feel the love of Jesus, as John talked about, and uh, that we can dive into our new series, which is First Peter. And um, uh, we definitely want to keep on flowing through and eventually hit up Second Peter at a later time. But um, we are so, the elders and pastors are so, so excited uh, for this. And, um, and we just want to say, can we thank you so much um, for who you are. Um, I don't think it's any accident that we're starting off this series with your testimony and with just sending you out as you're going into the unknown. I just want to say you embody uh, the faithful, beloved exiles here in First Peter, man, and we are just so grateful for you. We love you, care for you. We just want to pray for you right now, if that's okay. So, um, let's all pray, church family, and um, let's uh, lift up our brother Ken. Father, thank you, thank you. Jesus, you have called us. You have chosen us, God. And it's not about what the world says that we are. It's not even what our feelings dictate who we are. It's not even people's expectations that dictate who we are, but ultimately is you, who you say that we are. And I thank you, Jesus, for being our, our good and faithful and loving, compassionate shepherd, one who loves us and loves us. Thank you that you love Ken. Thank you that you are strong, and thank you that you are loving. Father, we just want to pray blessings over our brother Ken as he um, just uh, travels his way back to his home in East Asia, to the people that you so loved and still love deeply that's on your heart. And for those whom you love that they don't even know that you love them, that Lord willing, that Ken would get an opportunity to show and model and experience and express how much you love them. Father, I just pray your blessings be upon him in every way. I pray that your uh, ministering angels would come, come alongside of him and stand guard. I pray that you protect him, God, that you would guard um, his mind and his heart in Christ Jesus so that the peace that surpasses all understanding would guard his mind in Christ. I pray that he would be um, completely uh, fortified with your love for him. And so, Father, we send them out, send him out in your blessing and in your love. And I pray that you would strengthen him in this season. We know that you are also a God who loves, but you confirm, you establish, and you strengthen. And so I pray that you would strengthen the work of my brother Ken's hands and all that he serves with, all the people, the dear coworkers that he serves with, Lord, that you would just use him in a mighty way. Father, thank you 
And thank you for the people that you love. We pray that you administer them powerfully. Strengthen him even um, in the times where he doesn't see you. And understand that, Lord, he is being um, just following you um, and loving you. Um, and as he loves you, that that overflow uh, would lead into him just loving others and loving um, uh, the people, whether it be the broken, the poor, the orphan, especially the orphans that he's serving at the orphanages, including those who are lost in addictions and struggles and marital issues. Father, that you would be strong and that, God, your love would just carry him through. Thank you, Father. We thank you just for the opportunity to partner with him and partner with all who, of us who are on a mission, whether it's homeschooling here, going to school, whether it's going to work, being here in Houston. Father, we just want to dive deep into your kingdom and what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, we're going to cover two verses today, um, and we're going to dive in a little bit more completely, but um, I just really wanted to talk about this. Back uh, when Christine and I got married over 15 years ago, um, before that, we dated for two and a quarter years. And um, during that time when we started dating, um, I would really look forward to receiving letters. So every time my heart would just skip a beat whenever I would see her name in the sender list. And that was the time in which email was really slow. So we actually wrote handwritten letters. And we actually used the U.S. Postal Service. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so whenever I would get the mail, uh, I would see her and I, her uh, address on the sender. And everything would just go down to the bottom of the pile. Because you know what? I wanted to read her mail. That's what she meant most to me. And as I uh, open my nightstand, I've kept some of them, um, and as I read some of these letters, I'm not going to embarrass her of what she actually wrote, um, which are just so special and private and dear to me. Um, I fall more in love with my wife as I read these letters. And it goes deeper now. I mean, I, I, I thought I was pricked, I was encouraged when we were dating, but now as we are married, as we've gone through the fire, the joys, and the trials, when I read these letters, they just burn, help me to burn uh, with greater love and passion for my wife. The sender is the most important thing when we read. Imagine if you're gonna to go to your mailbox and you go and you see an ancient letter addressed to you and the postage reads AD 63, <laughs> over 1900 years ago and the return address reads Turkey and you see the sender's name, the Apostle Peter. <laughs> the Apostle Peter. Wouldn't you be intrigued? Wouldn't that want to just make you just open up that letter and see what's inside? And that is our hope with First and Second Peter, that you would just be wanting to rip open the pages. Um, don't rip open that journal. That's a nice journal. But um, rip open the pages and that you would fall in love with the sender, the author of the Word of God, Jesus 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, is, has allowed this to be authored um, as a book to you. And to that end, whenever you open this letter up, this is a letter addressed from you to you from the God of the universe. And he starts off by saying, to my elect and beloved exiles. This is when you read the first words, beloved by God. This is his word to you. This is your identity. And out of that identity are prayers that you would just be so loved by God that your life would change. And that's the aim behind our series. But as we look into that, that's kind of the big picture. Then we'll want to go into the structure of the letter. And so let's take a closer look at the book. We're going to take a look at the sender. We're going to look at the audience. We're going to look at the purpose. And we're going to look at the encouragement. So let's take a look at the sender. Um, 1 Peter 1.1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Peter is one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. This was written around 62 to 64 AD. Uh, Peter was at Rome at the end of his life, possibly um, under house arrest, in relationship with uh, Paul and, and, and martyred together. Um, we know that from Eusebius, uh, one of the early church um, historians, AD 325. Peter now is going in and he's previewing this letter and some would argue that these first two verses a preview of everything that he's going to, uh, to, to address in the body of his letter from verses 3 all the way to chapter 5 verse 11 at the end he gives his farewell readings from 12 to 14 and so what we see here as, as you're reading through Peter is going to dive deep into salvation and Peter links our salvation relationship to what he termed a living hope. And Peter is without question the apostle of hope. How do we know? Well, hope in the New Testament always refers to a future good, but a future good that goes back, reaches back in the past and affects our present. And this is, what, this is crazy when you think about Peter's life. Back in, in, in his, uh, his days as an OG, he was known by a different name. He was uh, known by the name of Simon. Um, and so he was a, fi a, a hardcore fisherman, man. He'd be out there on the boats in Galilee going out and catching fish. That's how he did it. That's how he built his business. That's how he built his reputation. If Peter was as outspoken and as intense as he was afterwards, imagine what he did with his fishing business. I mean, he probably put outdoor world out of business. Um, Bass Pro Shops got nothing on him. And, um, and then I think Jesus shows up. He was invited to leave his fishing business to go follow this itinerant preacher from Galilee. And he goes and he follows Jesus Later on in the narrative, he um, becomes a follower of Jesus. His name is changed to Cephas, which means rock. I mean, he was, became the guy that was the disciple, one of the inner 12 of Jesus, became Jesus' right-hand man. He was, the, in a sense, the lead disciple. He was the outspoken, brash one. He was always the guy who stepped up to fight. Um, and when Jesus got approached by an angry mob led by the establishment, 
It was Peter who stepped up first. And, sl- and he was the guy who said, I'm going to act first and seek forgiveness later. <laughs> and so he goes out and slashes one of those guys with a sword, um, with the, slashes his ear, which wouldn't, you wouldn't say a very accurate shot. Um, probably wasn't an expert swordsman. Um, and um, Jesus just says, what are you doing, Peter? Put the sword down. Come on, man. You should, we're not here to raise that up, and he heals, and he heals the guy's ear, and, um, and Peter must have looked like an idiot, right? <laughs> so this guy, who was named a rock, was anything really but a rock, because when you see later, when he got the chance, when Jesus was arrested um, and put onto trial, uh, he was put to the test just camping around in a campfire, uh, trying to stay incognito. He's around um, a bunch of people, and people uh, start recognizing him, and they're asking him, Hey, you're with Jesus, right? He's like, no, I, I'm not with Jesus. In fact, I've never seen this guy in my whole entire life. I mean, and he did that not once, but twice, but three times. And if you can't imagine your best friend denying that he's ever known you, ever, know, ever knew you, and even if you can imagine them turning his back and not talking to you for a decade. That's what Peter was doing. And in fact, Peter was calling upon divine judgment upon himself if he was telling a lie. He's saying, God, come and kill me if I am saying anything less than the truth. And so Peter, who denied Jesus while just trying to warm up his hands to save his own skins, who was afraid of being killed, who was a coward, became one of those first disciples to see the risen Jesus. We know that the, he appeared to two women who were embalmed, to, to, ready to embalm him, and he ended up being one of the first eyewitnesses to Peter. Can you imagine that scene that Jesus shows himself to Peter? I don't think Peter could have looked him in his face. And later on, we get that picture in John, 15, in John 21. And Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my lambs. And he asked him again, and then he asked him again. And a third time, Peter was grieved. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And for Peter, this was just a powerful restoration of his identity. Though he just messed up royally, Jesus restored Peter wholly. He didn't, uh, he, he didn't deserve to be a, called a Christ follower. Though he failed to love Jesus, Jesus loved him more. And so, this was, so at the same time, he would embrace his life, not as just beloved, but as an exile. In that same passage, Jesus says, Hey, when you're young, you can go wherever you want, but when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and you will be led into places you will not want to go. And Jesus said this to show what kind of death he would die to glorify God. He said, you will both live as a beloved son of mine, but also a martyr. And yet this was a defining moment for Peter because Jesus restored his identity, a beloved son of Jesus, loved by him, and this identity yet drove his life to proclaim his king to a world that had crucified, that will crucify him in the same way 
his Savior went down. When you see Peter saying he's an apostle, see his authority, but more so see that he's not just flexing his power, but show that he is flexing and showing his humility. Peter is saying, I don't speak because I am great. I'm only as great as the sender who sent me. I am being sent because what Jesus himself, who has saved me out of my shame and has lit me up to be a beloved son of his, I'm sharing this word with you. So don't look at me. Look at him. And in the same way, Peter speaks to all of us. This is God's word to you, beloved exiles. The message inside this envelope is from an apostle, one who said he was eyewitness to his majesty. And this is not just Peter's word, but God's word to us from an apostle of hope who lived it because he himself was powerfully restored And it brought a hope, and not just a hope for the future, a hope that was a living hope in verse 3 through 5. It's not something that will just be somewhere waiting outside for him, floating around in space and eternity, and yet it was transforming him to live differently in the present. So what is that message of hope? When we take a look at this, he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, or the diaspora in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter's writing from Rome at this point. He's writing to the elect. Diaspora means scattered. Peter was writing mainly not to Jewish Christians, but Gentiles who had become early uh, believers in the early church may have heard the apostles preaching, and they become believers. They started churches, and now they were scattered, some due to persecution. Um, There's a lot of different debates, but um, I don't think this was statewide persecution uh, that some of our brothers and sisters experience now, but rather local persecution that was sporadic. Um, What we see from the letter is that some of this persecution was mistreatment and verbal abuse from um, former colleagues and friends who, as they've seen their friends become Christians, um, it was not socially good and even great for them, and so they maligned them, they ostracized them, and they separated themselves from them. And so others were not directly scattered from persecution, but this whole diaspora language is that They were scattered. They knew what it looked like to go live in like 15 different homes or five different places um, around the world because many of them were sent out from their homes as colonists in Asia Minor to populate towns for the Roman Empire. And so many uh, of these made the move to what is now Turkey, which you see in the map about 500 to 800 miles away from the hometown of God's church or God's people in Jerusalem and the, the outgrowth of that. The areas were named by provinces. So when you see Asia there, it's not just saying, (laughs) we're not talking about the continent, we're actually saying it's the province. Um, At that time, Roman provinces, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And the cool thing about this is that this traces a mail route. It's roughly in a circle, and it it would 
roughly a trace along what the mailman back at that time would, would go through. They'd enter into the port of Pontus, travel up north to Galatia, then through Caesarea and Cappadocia, and then go westward on the route to South Galatia, then to Laodicea in Asia, and then perhaps into other churches like Colossae and Ephesus, um, and finally through the major churches of Bithynia, Bithynia, and then board a ship directly going back to Rome. The point I want you to see here is not a geography lesson, but the point is that every major city of Christian influence in Asia Minor would have been reached by 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Um, and so I just want to highlight that. Again, the diaspora, the scattered. And do we see ourselves in our identity as the scattered? That our identity can remain the same, but yet we can be in anywhere in the world. Yet we're living in to our identity. All right, the purpose. The purpose to remind scattered and suffering Christians of their identity as beloved exiles. Um, elect means simply that they are chosen. Peter, under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, says to them, they are elect and chosen in God, and their identity in Christ was everything. Chosen always refers to peoples who are chosen by God from a group of others who are not chosen, and chosen for inclusion among God's people as recipients of great privilege and blessing. And so Peter's audience is cluing in to the effect of saying, this word chosen, wait, wasn't this just for the Jewish people? And yet, this is extending that same privilege and that same right to them. Meaning that they weren't not as second-class, third-class people. They were equal and blessed and loved just as much as the Jewish uh, brethren in the Old Testament. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, we see that they are chosen and they're taking on the special privileges, the special uh, the special uh, um, names that only was reserved for the Jewish people. And I just want to stress here that it's not just that they're chosen, because you could be chosen, but you don't need to necessarily be chosen to be loved, right? If um, maybe some of you, some of you youth might, uh, I know I do, <laughs> um, but if you were chosen for a basketball team, um, sometimes you're chosen, but it doesn't mean you're loved. It just means that you were last, and they just needed to get you on so you can actually play five on five. <laughs> we just need an even number, dude. Hey, doesn't that make you feel loved and encouraged? Um, so, but I want you to see is that elect doesn't just mean chosen, but there's an a added definition of being loved. Again, this goes back to covenant relationships like as we are in covenant with one another here at Hope Church, for those who are invited, you are all invited to come in in a covenant to say, hey, I need you as much as you need me to push each other, to, to pursue Christ together. 
Um, and then the other thing I think about is a wedding, right? Well, we were just in a wedding um, uh, last weekend. I get to see my brother-in-law get married. And, um, you know, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful testimony of a covenant relationship in which the husband and wife covenant together before God and before each other and their community to choose each other and to be united together in one flesh. And is there where they pledge their commitment and their deep affection expressed by the wedding vow and symbolized by the ring. And again, this is love on another level. They say, out of all the people in the world, I choose you to covenant together with you, to love, to serve you in better or for worse, sickness or in health, um, in, in, in health until death do us part. Again, that's covenantal love that runs so much deeper. And in the same way, God is calling them and you as loved. Listen, the people of 1 Peter could have felt isolated, alone, and insignificant. They could have felt unloved by the world around them. And Peter wanted to say to them, wherever you live, you are God's elect, and I deeply love you. And so that's the purpose of reminding them and saying, I love you. You are scattered, but you're beloved. And the encouragement is simply this, that God is for you. Peter says, I'm going to put my full weight behind it. I'm going to bring my full ammo right, that you are elect, but also, or beloved, but you are also exiles. And we see this in the actual greeting of this letter. In verse 2, it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, it almost seems contradictory, right? How can you be beloved and yet exiles? Well, don't see exile in an earthly sense. And when we think about exile, we mean in an earthly sense to be banished from one's homeland, to be forcibly disrupted from your home of residence and origin and to be moved out. But this is actually kind of the opposite type of nuance. While the word exile has been used of Israel's past being punished for their idolatry and disobedience, it's not the sense. The sense is that being elect means that we are being beloved, but also a sense that we, are, we don't belong. That we are so powerfully loved as God's people, and yet we are exiles in this life in terms of that we're not home yet. Like if you really know who you really are, you have everything in you. Your identity is so fixed, so powerful, it allows you to live powerfully in this world and to take whatever the ammo of the world throws at you. It means you're so richly blessed by being a beloved son and daughter. It doesn't matter where you live. You are traveling and sojourning to a homeland that far outweighs this world. And what we see here is God's foreknowledge here. 
of God the Father. And God is saying, I am behind you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God says his foreknowledge of God the Father. It says that he, everything is, before we knew everything, before we even took a breath, he knew everything beforehand and that everything is determined by his sovereign choice. The focus is his gracious initiative to choose you. And we know there's Christians that fall on several, all sides of this debate at the time of the role of free will and God's predestination of us. But the most important aspect above foreknow was that he is setting his gracious love and favor on you even when you didn't return the favor. Even when you turned your back on God, God still continued to love you. And just an important part, if you turn to 1 Peter 121, 120 to 21, he uses the same word foreknown here in 1 Peter. He says, um, to describe what Christ has done, he says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope is in God. Nothing predates God's sovereign plan. He didn't wait around in heaven to see what you're going to do first. No, the idea is that before the cosmos even began, Christ, he had pre-planned that Christ would come in his love to redeem a broken people made in his image so that they would be saved. As a New Testament scholar, Tom Schreiner says, Christ's coming hardly depends on humans' choices. So when it talks about God's people being his elect and his beloved, it means God took gracious initiative. We broke the covenant relationship with God, but God did not turn his back on us. He did everything to save you. He did everything to love you, even nothing short of giving up his very best, his own blood and then rising again to proclaim not only that there is salvation for you in the future, but that he is coming to bring his rule and reign here on earth. He is coming to bring the spirit of God so that you may proclaim the good news of the risen king, Jesus, that one day all the heavens and the earth will be restored under this great king. And that is a gospel that we are called to and privileged to preach and proclaim. And it means that God gives you enough strength in your suffering. Any suffering you face does not surprise him in the slightest. He has called you and he has loved you. And through the foreknowledge of God the Father, it suggests that all that we go through in this life is according to God's fatherly care, that he will not abandon you, just like what we heard from Ken Ken's story, but that he will continue, and he is working in his greater plan. He will finish what he started. And then the Spirit also is in this too. It says the sanctification of the Spirit. It talks about that the source of the power is not in us, but is in the Spirit who works inside of us. It means that the believers who became a part of God's holy people, they became 
holy and set apart. And now you're in this process of growth, of becoming holy like Jesus is holy. Um, that's called just uh, sanctification, um, which just basically means that you're in the process of becoming like Jesus. You're walking it out, and it's not like you're there yet. Any one of us is there yet. But as we do that, as we hear the preaching of the gospel, as we let the Spirit of God um, speak to us, as we give ourselves in the work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit becomes like the air that we breathe, so that in the trials and the sufferings, the highs and the lows, that we are sharpened, that we are uh, strengthened, and that we are molded into the image of Jesus. And lastly, the last phrase, the obedience to, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. It just simply means that if you're leaning into the identity as the beloved, if your life is defined by Jesus' love for you, your life will be driven to change. And when you're truly living out of that identity, your behavior in everything is going to flow out of that identity. It's no good use to saying you're a vegan if you're not actively eating vegetables on an everyday basis. It makes no sense to say that you're physically fit if you're not working out regularly and sleeping in. The same way, your life flows out of your identity. And obedience is a big theme in 1 Peter, especially in the midst of suffering. And, and, and so what we see here is that the word of God is living and changes your life from the inside out. You are purified by the blood of Jesus. And I think that's a reference to Leviticus or Exodus 24. Three through eight. You can look at that later, but it talks about the covenant between God and man and how Moses sprinkled the blood onto the altar. And then after that, then the people would pledge their obedience to the Lord. In the same way, you have a complete once and for all sacrifice, one who is sprinkled on his blood for you, shed his blood to usher you into this new covenant and now calls you his beloved and that's why we want to be calling this Beloved Exiles as a series, because it reminds us that we are dearly loved by God, and his love should change us in everything about the way that we live. I mean, you are not just once loved, twice loved, you are triply loved <laughs> by the God, thank you, by the God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it should change us in the way that we are called to live now. And as we are wrestling with this, I think what I really want us to point to and think through is I'm asking myself of how and what and how can I lean into my identity as being loved? How can I lean into God's beloved but also to live outside of that and, and be in Excel. He doesn't want us just to say in this great theological truth. He wants us to experience the full depths of his love. And guys, God is inviting us uh, from the fast and the last sermon series. He's like, come, I invite you into something. Not that I'm inviting you to something that's going to give you dullness or sadness or mad suffering and craziness, but I want to invite you into something greater and more. He's inviting us into something much more wonderful um, than the life that we have here because we serve a risen king and we're, we're called to lean in into what our king wants us 
to live as, whether we're serving the poor, whether we're inviting a friend who's broken and just bringing healing into their life and bringing Jesus into their lives, whether we just go out and we say an encouraging word because we just want to follow Jesus. Our allegiance is not just to things that would make us friends to our culture. It would mean that we rub heads and faces against our culture and would make us look unpopular in this world. It may invite persecution or invite uh, abuse or insults among us. Are we leaning into this as our beloved exiles? And I, I'm really excited that we get to do that together, church. I'm honestly praying that you would pray that. Not only that you would pray that am I, am I willing to be loved, but am I willing to lean in to everything that God has for me to be a beloved exile. And God, will you just shift everything? And so I would love for us to invite you to um, just meditate right now and just spend some time with the Lord. Um, and we'll do that some more as we get into communion. Um, but let's go ahead and get into um, communion. I, I just love how it ended off with obedience to Jesus Christ and first sprinkling with his blood because it just reminds us that this is not out of our own power. He ends off by saying a blessing. May grace and peace be multiplied to you.